Tov. Today's daf is Chodesh Tov. Today's daf is Yud Chet Chai Sota, and we pick up um, um, about five lines down from the top of Yud Chet Aleph. Boy Rava. So we're dealing with the act of uh, scraping the uh, the uh, curses into the water. We discussed the collection of the water, a little bit about the nature of the vessel. Uh, we uh, discussed the um, what was written on the scroll. Um, which sections were written and uh, what the scroll had to be made out of. The Mishnah also mentioned what the ink had to be made out of. Um, and uh, the Gemara discussed other parts about the physical nature of the scroll, uh, of the writing. You, be, you can't write, write it backwards. The scroll has to be scored. It has to be one piece of parchment, not two pieces of parchment, and so on. And with that, we continue the following by Rava. So Rava asked. Are we in the Mishnah? We're not in the Mishnah? No. No. By Rava, cause of bet megilot l'shtei sotot. Let's say you wrote two megilot for two sotot. You were doing, you know, you were just uh, processing things quickly there. So you did two. You were doing two at the same time. Umachakan l'toch kos echad, and you scrape them all into the same single vessel. So um, then, can they both drink from the water of one vessel of, of one vessel that has in it the two megilot? So what do we say? Mahu, what's the halacha? When it has to be written, there's presumed that you don't have a pre-written text, right? That it's written specifically, the cost of Lahakoain, right? So you write her for her. I mean, before we spoke about, you know, that you can't that you that you can't write it like before she takes the oath, you have to write it after she takes the oath. Um, so it's very specifically written at that time and it's written law for her. So that you did. Each so each Megillah was written for each woman individually. So but Inan can you have that? Or maybe it has to be scraped for their name. Now it was scraped for the name. You were scraping one for Sarah and then you took the other one and you scraped it for Rachel. Uh, but presumably what it means is is that the script that it has to be actually being done like not just in your mind for that person, but it has to be sort of like seen as, you know, that like 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 by the action it's it's specific to that person. Um, it's um, and therefore when you're scraping it, if you're scraping two at the same time, I mean I guess if you did Rachel first and then Leah, maybe we could say Rachel was good and Leah wasn't. But let's say you were actually somehow scraping them both at the same time, then the act of scraping wasn't individualized for a particular person. Yeah, it's true. When your knife went on Rachel's parchment, it was for Rachel and went on Leah's parchment was for Leah but the whole sort of process if you would of scraping it and making the water the process of making the water by the scraping was not individualized for this woman as opposed to for that woman this was a water that now is now being made for two women and maybe that's a problem maybe it has to be individualized I was in the discussion the other day but there's nothing individualized about this, this, this document there's nothing in the text that's individualized right. but the Gemara is assuming right correct but correct that is correct there's no particular names and so on. But the Gemara is assuming that, um, that the idea of Lishma at least describes, you know, somewhat your intent and to some degree that by context the action has to be focused, you know, on this woman. So here, here, if it's, you know, this was written for you and this is written for the other woman and we're scraping it after, so the, the act of writing was seen as based on your intention. But I mean, I guess the woman doesn't have to be, the coin could be not looking at the woman while he's writing it. So it's true. Like, how much is it, what's going on in his head and how much of it is like somehow defined by the context of the actions but there is a sense that the vakas of law um, has to be specific for her and the question is is the scraping you know now the process of making the water it's being done simultaneously for, for two women at the same time it's a water of t- for two women is that good enough yeah so you have a, a you have a coat with water and soil in it yeah 
and you're scraping ink into it. Right. And she's drinking that. Right. So the power ostensibly comes from the name of God floating around through the scraped ink. Presumably. I mean, or the whole curse, it's the whole curse, I don't know if it's just the name of God. The, 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 the Gemara emphasizes the name of God, because that's why it's so powerful that we're prepared to erase God's name, but presumably it's the presence of the whole curse in there that gives it that the power. The makes the mixture of the water. The coin makes the mixture of the water, yes. He can, he can mix the water or, or different things, different, he can mix like that. Yeah, he can decide how much dirt to put in or whatever, what exactly the mixture is. Well, yeah, that's true, yeah. Well, I don't know if that would affect whether the water would have the effect or not, but maybe he could decide how much dirt to put in or whatever. That would be true. They don't give a shear here. What? They don't give a shear for the dirt. That's true. Uh, well, it does. It says that's to be enough dirt that it floats on the top. Right, it doesn't give a right. yeah, maximum or whatever, yeah. Just, just, isn't the larger problem that when he's scraping it, he's scraping it in one cup and then the scraping for each woman is... Yeah, that you wind up greasing another woman's scraping. Right. So the girl is going to get to that. That'll be the next level question. Right, and you could also ask, like, wouldn't it be interesting if the same water like worked for one woman and didn't work for another because one woman was innocent and the other woman was guilty so you know so do you have like the power of this name here for one it's like the presence of the scraping is going to cleanse and the nix of the czar and the other is going to curse or whatever can that both exist simultaneously in the same water so anyway but right now we're not even up to that we're just about the act of scraping has to be individualized okay it can exist simultaneously in the same water for the same one woman uh, one woman still the same. Yes, but then, but then, but then, it is going to do just one thing. Here, the water is going to do two different things. You know. Yeah. Well, that's true. Okay. Um, uh, okay. So the verse goes like this. Um, okay. So what's the halacha? The scraping has to be like individualized for that woman. Okay, fine. So you did each woman. You wrote her Megillah and you scraped it into a vessel and you had a separate vessel for each woman too. But it never asks that the gathering of the dirt has to be for the woman. Anyway, but you created the potion, as it were, individual, two separate potions for two separate women. And then, the Chazav Irvan Maho. Now, you mix the waters together. So the act of the Kasav, Umacha, all of that was proper. But now the question is just the resultant water itself is both waters. Is that going to be a problem? The process was okay, but the water might be a problem because it's not just that, wa- that just one woman's water. So what's the what's the question? Do you need scraping and you did it for that individualized? Each woman is drinking water that isn't hers, and maybe that's the problem, right? That you only that the actual drinking has to be just the water that was prepared for you. That's a problem because each woman is drinking water that was not specifically prepared for them and might even have a different power based on the other woman. Let's say after you mix the waters together, now you divided them again. Okay? Mix them into two cups. You sort of did like a Sheva process. Exactly. You mix them into two cups and then you separate it out. Mahu. Yesh breira or ain breira? Do we say that the thing sort of selects itself out or not? Take, we don't know. Now, the last <laughs> question is a little bit bizarre, uh-huh. because as Tosis discusses, this is one of these long Tosis, a normal yesh breira is something where you don't have to say that by magic, something 
you know, actually sell out exactly the way we had, you know, you know, you had two distinct things were mixed together, and somehow we're going to say by pure magic, I mean, how is it supposed to work that way, that they re-separate exactly the way that they had initially been. Like then, you know, Tosu says, like then, if you could say that, why would you ever have a case of tyromet? Let's say you got your, you know, let's say you got your truma grain mixed in with your, uh, your I know, your truma wine mixed in with your chulin wine, and you, uh, and they got all mixed up. It says, oh, no problem. Let me just, let me just, uh, you know, spill out to two separate vessels, and I'll say the truma wine went into that vessel. Like, like it's crazy. How could ever, such a thing ever happen, you know? I mean, obviously something fully diffuses, and how, you know, we never would say such a thing. Normally, when we say yesh breira, it's the following type of an example. When we say yesh breira, it's a scenario where the thing had not been, as Tosa said, it was never a nikar mitchila. It was never initially uh, labeled and then got mixed up. It had never been labeled at the outset. So, for example, let's say I were to say um, the, uh, tr- the, the, the grain that I will eventually take from this pile will be truma as of now. And then, you know, uh, a week, the, tomorrow I take the grain. Then we say, well, retroactively, that was always the grain that was truma. Or maybe is even a better example. There I stipulated, so you could say it's a type of a tnai. Let's say a case where I didn't stipulate. Let's say a case where we, um, we jointly own a field. Do we say that when I walk through the field, at that time that I'm walking through it, like, I'm using my portion of the field. Like, you know, it's not like you have the south side, or maybe better example, uh, brothers inherit an estate. And then after, after a year, they finally get around to dividing the estate. And one of them gets, you know, the north side of the field, and the other gets the south side of the field. Do we say that we now say that the north side was always the one that was going to that brother, and the south side retroactively was always going to the other? But that was a case where it never never had been pre, you know, already identified and then mixed up, it existed during this gray period where how it would be assigned later was not determined and then do we say the way when it eventually got assigned that will tell us in hindsight that was the part that was always heading to that person. Mm-hmm. So a kind of a braver would be if I said if I'm going to spill it in another cup we say the wine that went to that cup later was the one that was always headed towards that cup. That we might say. But that doesn't mean that it was the initial wine, right? Right? How could such a thing ever work? So Tosos really struggles with this, logically so. And he says the following. If you take a look, Tosos tries to reread what Yesh Breira means. And Tosos says like this, Vinirat. It's one, two, do you see the word boy? Like five lines on the bottom of the new Tosos? Boy, so it's like five lines over that, about a few words before, Vinirat. He says, here was really the question. That the real concern is that the focus is that the scraping be distinct for that person. Um, but now, if you start in one vessel, that's not good. So if when you mix them up into one vessel, right, we said that would be a problem because each person would be drinking not her water. So the problem isn't that you just happen to be drinking somebody else's water. That's not in itself a problem. The problem when you're drinking it after it got mixed up into one vessel was the real problem is is that if you, if you scrape them into separate vessels and mix them together and both women drank from the same vessel, the fact that we're now both drinking from the same vessel sort of 
you know, conflates the two distinct processes. In the end, you don't look at it as two distinct processes. You look at it as one process, because in the end, it's all ending in one vessel that they're both drinking from. Okay, so that's the problem. The problem isn't just you can't drink water that wasn't yours. The problem is that it, it, it unites the two processes. If that's the case, um, So when you divide them, then everybody has their own water. So do we say yes prayer? It doesn't mean yes prayer like you got the water that initially was yours. What it means is, Anyway, he goes on, it's not exactly clear, but I think what he's getting at, or it is clear, but I'm, trying, I'm reading it too fast, but what he is getting at, I believe, is the following. He's saying, you're right, you cannot say yes prayer and magically it worked out that I'm drinking only, my, all of my water went into my cup and all the other person's water went into theirs. So we have to assume that the Gemara is really saying, maybe it's, you, don't, you don't really have to drink the, just your water. You can drink somebody else's water. But the problem of being in the same cup is that it, in the end, brought the two processes together. And in the end, if, even though they started as separate, if it all ended in the same cup and each woman is drinking from the same cup, then it really is like a process that's not being done specifically for each woman. But if you happened to mix them and then you divided them again, then we can able to say, look, it was written for you, it was scraped for you, and you're drinking your own cup. You're drinking a cup that just you are drinking. It might have somebody else's water in it by accident. It got mixed up a little bit, but it's just your cup. Maybe that is sufficient to define it as a distinctive process for that woman and a distinctive process for the other. Okay, but Sosa says there's no way you can say that in the end of the day if it got mixed up and then you re-divided it that magically you got all of your water and the other person got all of her water. Okay, so that's the Gemara's question. Do those things work? And the Gemara ends with all of that by saying take it. We don't know. The question stands, yes. Right. So that would be the idea that you can't drink somebody else's because the the, the, the solutions have different efficacies or whatever. Is that what you're saying? No, what I'm saying is like here's a double portion in this bottle. Right. But I mean, it depend, it's dependent just on the individual oh. judgment. What that, what's in that bottle is going to do. Right, so it really doesn't matter. It's not like, I mean, that's the question too, which is how much are we halachasizing this and how much are we making this about like some magic of the water? Right, like in this whole discussion, the Gemara never said, well, if it was for that woman, then the water will have this power. And if it's another woman, the water will have that power. Now you're mixing them up and they have two powers. Like it never framed it in terms of there being real power in the water. It only framed it like halachically, right? Is it a process being done for her or is it a process also being done for the other person, right? So I, I, that's what you're saying. Like you could sort of say, look, the water fundamentally is neutral. It's just it all depends on, on the woman who's drinking it, not on right, right. I understand. Right, right, right. Right, so I think that that is a powerful part of this, which is like, you know, when we read this, we could be saying, whoa, you're drinking somebody else's thing, for that person it's poison, and for you it's not, and you're getting the other person's poison, you know, but the Gemara isn't looking at it in terms of, I think, some, you know, metaphysical power of the water, it's looking at it from a legal perspective, you know, did you do this, pro- the process has to be distinctive for each person, and so on, and I think, again, that's the Gemara sort of like de- demystifying it, or demiracalizing it, or something. Okay. Yeah, exactly, so 
But now the Gemara says like this: If you made her drink with um, with through a like a, a um, uh, like a sieve, what's it say? Uh, like something like like a leaf that's wrapped around it, okay? Um, um, or meaning that you sort of you know you used like you used a big a big po- a big le- a big leaf or not a leaf? What is it? Um, has it described it there? Uh, a palm fiber. Palm fiber, whatever. Anyway, Sibina is fiber. Okay, and you made it essentially like a type of a funnel or something like that or a tube, and you drank through the tube. Mahu, what's the halacha? Bishoferis mahu, or let's say just through a type of a straw. Okay, what's the halacha? Peku. Now, what's the question? I'm sorry, I skipped a line. Is that a normal way of drinking? No, not peku. We don't know. So the Kutosu says there's another Gemara that talks about eating matzah that's wrapped in, up in some fibrous matter. Um, you know, and is that a problem or not? Like, for example, it's an issue about like swallowing pills. If you have a, a non-kosher ingredient, besides the fact that it's, whether it's achil or not, and refua, but anyway, but if it's inside of a capsule, so maybe you're not really eating it because the capsule is surrounding it when it's going down your throat. Actually, sometimes the capsules are more problematic than the pill because yeah. the capsules are made out of gelatin. Anyway, uh, but that's like the idea the Gemara talks about eating matzah, karchan besiv, and eating matzah when it's surrounded by a capsule. Is that considered eating or not? Tosos points out that this case is different because this case, actually, the liquid is going down your throat and it's touching your throat. The, the straw is just getting it from the cup to your mouth. It's not actually sort of serving as a chatzit, as a block, as an obstruction between the liquid and the inside of your throat. So this... It's so right. So, yeah, so this... So the point is, when you're dealing with it actually surrounding the food and it's, the food is traveling down your throat surrounded by something, that clearly is not considered achira. When you're dealing with this, where it's just about how to get this thing to your... To your the liquid to your mouth, that's the Gemara's question. Of course, it is funny because we think using a straw is a very natural way mm-hmm. of drinking something. But maybe it's still, it's not the type of drinking of the Torah. Maybe also, because the Torah says, Vihishka etamayim, he shall make her drink the water. Using, when you use a straw, you're using, you know, that's when you're drinking the water. Mm-hmm. When you make somebody else drink, you know, you, you don't use, you might use a funnel, I mean, if you're trying to force drink, to force feed somebody, but you don't, you know, so maybe that's part of the question, okay? It might be a way to get more of the liquid and less of the dirt. What? Oh, like, oh, that's an interesting point. Maybe you're not getting the dirt that way, and that's the problem. If you look at the side, the side quotes the Aruch and says, Pirish Nosen Hasiv Bimayim, Ubola Hasiv Lamayim, Kimin Sfug, Sfog. The Nosen Hasiv Bipia, Umatitsala Umotetas Lamayim. Okay, so you use, you put some type of a, of, a, of, a, of a leaf or some type of a fiber in the water, it would absorb the water, and then you took the leaf to your mouth and you sucked the water out of the leaf. Okay? So you're basically doing it. So that makes more sense why it's not derech shkia. Because if you're just using it as a funnel or as a straw, why is it not derech shkia? Mm-hmm. So that makes it a little more, more of an interesting case. So the Gemara says, take you. By Ravashi, Ravashi asks, Nishpachu mehen, v'nishtairu mehen, mahu. Let's say you didn't have all the waters. Whoops, you stripped and some of it spilled out. Okay, and you're left with what remains. Is that okay? Teiku. We don't know. Amar um, Abzeira, Amar Ravav, Bez, Shru'ot Hamur Pesota Lama. Why does it say v'hishbiya otah ha-kohen twice? Right, the Pasuk says... Um, where were we? It says the following. It says, um, 
תמיד ונעשה לך כפיה, והשפיע אותו כן, ואמר לי שעה, אם לא שרב איש עושה, אם לא שתיס טומאת תחסיס, סטיס, טומאת תחסיס שייך, הנקים ימי המרים המרים אלה, ואת כי סטיס תחסיס שייך, ותיתן משפחה שכבתו מבלדי שייך. זאת אומרת, אם לא שתיס את Like he says, he shall make her swear and say, if you did not do it, you'll be cleansed, and if you did do it, and then it doesn't have the end of the sentence, and then it again says, and he shall make her take the oath and say, and then it says, and here's the curse, God will do such and such to you. So why does it repeat that he shall make her take the oath the second time? Okay? Um, so, stage for some was Pesot Olama. Achaz kodem shenim chaka megilah, v'achaz achaz shenim chaka. One before he scraped away the megilah, and the other after. So the Merz says, But what do you mean? They're both in the same thing and making her take the oath before the Megillah is scraped. You can't say that you do one after the Megillah is scraped. That's not where it's written. One is the Shua with the curse and the other is the Shua without the curse. Okay, now actually that makes a lot of sense because the first Zishbiya says if you didn't do it, you'll be cleansed and if you did do it, dot, 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 it didn't end the sentence. And then the second one says, and, you know, God will uh, make, you know, you know, the water will come into you for a curse. Okay? But it doesn't ex- still exactly explain why to divide it into two, but he's saying there's two types of a shua. A shua without the Allah and a shua with the Allah. Now the Gemara is going to try to understand what exactly is the shua with the Allah, because if you think about it, the Allah is a curse that somebody puts on you. The shua is an oath that you take to proclaim the truth of something. Like you take an oath that you're innocent or you take an oath that you're prepared for the consequences of the water whatever you're doing you're taking an oath about what you are swearing to which is different than the curse so it's actually a problem that he says and he shall make her and he shall make her swear and say to her let the water go into you for a curse Where's, what's, he, what's, she, what's she swearing about there he's just cursing her so that's what he says yeah the second one is a shrua with a curse what does that mean so let's take a look um What's the show with the curse? So the Gemara says, I am making you swear, take an oath that you did not swear. Because if you swore, then the water will come into you. So the oath that she is taking is that she did not, that she did not sin. The, 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 the curse that is part of the oath is, I'm letting you know that if you're lying in this oath, this is what's going to happen to you. So in a way, it's the oath that is backing up the veracity of, the, the curse is backing up the veracity of the oath. Okay, swear truthfully, and you should know that if you're lying, this is what's going to happen. So that's the shushi shima Allah. And that was the second hishbiya, because there was the, the, oh, the curse was part of that, or was the only thing mentioned in the Pesukim. Um, so, the king makes That's a shvua and an Allah, but it's not the shvua doesn't have the Allah as part of it. It's you take your oath, and then I say, if you're lying, you're going to be cursed. Okay, but the curse is not part of the oath. Ella Amarava, so Rava says, Mashbi Ani Alecha, I I am am t- telling having you swear, Sha'init Mais Yavobach, that you should basically swear and say, if I have sinned, you know, or or actually you think or not you, actually that's gonna be the question. I am saying I am saying if you have sinned, these waters will enter into you. Okay, so that's a curse. Where's the oath? 
So the way Rashi says it is, you're actually being mashbia the, the oath. You're not being mashbia the woman. You're basically sort of, as it were, saying to the oath, you oath, I am being mashbia you that you have to do your job and that you have to go into the woman and, you know, curse her and, the, you know, and if, if, if she, uh, you know, or if, if she sinned. Um, so, so let's take a look. Um, so the mother says like this. Um, I'm a Ravashi. You're not making her take a shvua. You're just, in a way, saying, I am swearing that the water will enter into, that, that this curse will, will take effect on you. But what is she saying that is, that is she, what is she swearing to that has in it the curse that's going to take effect to her? Elam Ravashi must be any I am making you swear that you did not be sin. The imnit meis yavobach. And if you sin, let the water come into you. Now, it's not exactly clear. How's that different than what we said before? If you look before, the first line was, So the first one was, Swear you didn't sin, because if you did, this is what will happen. And this was one, So that's not just saying, and this is, by the way, is what will happen if you did sin. It's two things. Number one, swear you didn't sin. Number two, if you did sin, you'll be cursed. Still, like, how is the oath part of the curse? How is it any different? So, I, it's a little confusing. You look at, or more than a little, you look at Rashi. Rashi says, That's different than Rashi says, So, first you take your oath that you're telling the truth. That's the Shvua. You, the woman, are swearing that you're telling the truth. Not just, by the way, parenthetically, like we said before, if you're lying, you'll be cursed. Then all you have really is the oath, because the because the 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 the, uh, the curse is parenthetical. So no, you have the oath, and number one, take the oath. Number two, the imnit meis yavo bachmayim, the kaimashrua isha shalonit mas, the awasetachul. So Rashi is saying there's no way the woman takes an oath about the Allah. The oath is only a woman attesting to the own veracity of her statement. So basically, there are really two oaths going on here. Number one is the oath that the woman takes. I am, I'm swearing that I'm telling the truth. And the other is the oath that the Cohen is making, as it were, sort of like calling upon the curse to take effect on the, on the woman. Like, you know, sort of the same way like Moshe says, you know, uh, Like, I call on heaven and earth to be witnesses. So I'm calling on the curse. I am forswearing the curse, like they used to forswear angels, you know, to make sure the angels would do their bidding. I forswear the curse, that the curse should fill out its duty and take effect on the woman. So the Kohen is being mashbia the curse to do its duty, and mashbia the woman that she's telling the truth, but you never actually have a shavua that itself relate by the woman that itself relates to the curse. Um, so because the shavua of the woman is only a, a testimony that she is telling the truth. So there's no way that the shavua could be about, you could ever agree to be, I, I accept the punishment that will come on me if I'm lying, but that's still not a shavua. Like the shavua is still just about attesting to the raffi of her statement. So it's a complicated, like what exactly this tightrope is that Gemara is walking about. Shavua, shiyesh, imo, Allah. At the end of the day, it really seems like the way it's defining its terms that's a shrua and an Allah not some combination not you know of the two but somehow they're being wrapped together okay so now the Gemara continues uh-huh. 
So therefore, he can't maybe like you can't be made throughout to Russia. So you have to make the oath. What this go? Yeah, maybe. Okay, let's take a look at the Mishnah. What is she saying? Amen, amen about. So amen, amen. What's the double amen? So amen Allah, amen Allah Shvua. So we're back now to the Allah and the Shvua. Okay. So amen, yes, because you said you know. I'm making you swear that you're telling the truth. Amen means yes, I am swearing that I'm telling the truth. And here, Amen on the Allah, forget the previous Gemara, which I have always found very confusing, but the Amen on the Allah is what we were saying before. Let this water come in and curse you if you're lying. Amen. Yes. I accept, forget the Shua. Yes, I accept it. A, I assert that I'm telling the truth. That's the Shua. Amen. And, yes, Amen. I accept the punishment if I'm lying. The Shua and the Allah. Fine. Amen means that Yes, I, I, I accept the punishment and, and I assert my truthfulness that I did not commit adultery whether this man or even a man I wasn't directly suspected about with my husband but I'm, I'm, I'm denying any adultery ever for, you know, against my husband. Okay, and we learn from this by the way this is a principle and we learn in other places the same way Sota becomes a principle to learn by Tuma Suffolk Tuma Bishus Arabim Suffolk Tuma Bishus Ayachid another important basis of, for other areas of Allah Sota is, is the issue called Gilgul Shavua. That once you have an ability to get a guy up on the stand and make him take one oath, because, you know, you need a certain concrete basis to allow you to force a guy to take an oath in court. Um, once, you, once you're able to force him to take one oath, you can, make, you can throw in anything you want to make him swear about. What you have to imagine then, like, it's a real disadvantage to ever have to be, you know, <laughs> to ever get in a position where you have to swear about anything, right? So, um, so, um, um, so anyway, so we, that's called Gilgul Shvua, like to roll from one Shvua to the next. So since the husband is entitled to make her take the oath about the man she suspected about, actually, she actually is being also forced to take an oath and to, and to swear that she'd not committed adultery with any man. Yes. So we're saying she's answering amen to her own affirmation? <coughs> no. The coin the says... Amen, amen. Amen, amen. One amen is to her own affirmation, declaration. No, no. Meaning, meaning. No, no, no. But no, but no. But that was the first point. But the second point is just. I mean, the second point. I, I wouldn't interpret it as like. I'm saying I'm main to what I just said. It's like when you say, I, I make you swear you didn't do this. Yes, 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 I didn't do that. It's sort of like an saying, like, I didn't do that or anything like that. Sort of like the doubling is a way of sort of saying that and anything like connected to that, I'm asserting that I did not do. Okay? Um, um, of course, though, it's making you remember that famous uh, line by uh, there's this uh, guy, um, what's his name? Um, Morgan Bass. So you knew what I was going to say. What was his first name? Stanley? I forget his first name. Anyway, so he's like a Jewish philosopher, but he also he's like, had these one-line zingers. So he was at a lecture once, and somebody was up there and saying, and, and saying, yeah, that. whatever. And somebody was up there and saying, you know, it's very strange that like a double negative is a positive, but a double positive isn't a negative. So he's in the audience and he says, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 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 so, anyway, uh, so anyway, so that's I don't think that's the Amen Amen here. Okay, that's a different yeah yeah. So, yes, yes, yes. Okay, Amen Amen. Amen Amen Mishzeh Amen Mishacher. Amen Satisi Arusa Vinisua. Now the husband can only do this to her basically when she's uh, Nisua. Yeah. Okay, but 
now that he's making her swear, it would have been mm-hmm. adultery had she slept with another man even when she was an Arusa. Mm-hmm. So now that he's making her swear, that amen can also include whether that she didn't commit adultery not only for the different man than she suspected of, but even from an earlier period in their marriage when she was just an Arusa. And number one, let's say she's married to her husband, not through Kiddushin, but through uh, Yibum. So, and, so he, and once he's done Yibum, they're full husband and wife, so he can make her go through the Sota process if he suspects her of committing adultery. Now, once he's doing that, he can make, the Amain can also, will also refer to that she did not commit adultery when she was awaiting the Yibum, after her husband died when she was awaiting Yibum. So the Gemara is going to ask on that, because until this point, all these acts of adultery would have made her, whether a different man, whether Kiddushin, would have made her forbidden to her husband. But it's not at all Pasha, that when a woman is awaiting Yibum when that, that if, uh, if he sleeps with another man she's not really an Aishas Ish it's only an Isser Lav Lotia Aishas Amisa Chutzali Jazar it's not clear that if she sleeps with another man that somehow makes her forbidden to the brother-in-law okay so that wouldn't be would that, would that be considered an act of adultery so the Gemara is going to ask about that Amen Shemunit Mesi Amen that I did not commit adultery Ve'imnit Mesi Yavobi okay and if I did then let them come into me so, so that sounds to me like the Amen to the Shur, Amen to the Allah. Not exactly clear to me. Um, and that's basically what Rashi says. Amen Shalonit Mesi, Hainu Kabbalah Shvua. Vinit Mesi, Yavobi, Hainu Kabbalah Allah. I swear I'm telling the truth and I accept the consequences if I'm not. Rabbi Meir Amen Shalonit Mesi, Amen Shalo Etameh. So, yes, I did not do it, and B, I won't commit adultery in the future. So that's like, well, that's not a, a, an oath about what happened, that's a promise about the future. And let's say, so anyway, the Gemara is going to say, it's not to say that if in the future she, com- she com- it's not to say that she'll right now be punished by the water, because God's going to look into the future and determine that what she's planning, sort of like that uh, minority report. You know, <laughs> of course, if she blows up now, then she never will have done it in the future, so it won't work. No, but what it means is, is that if she does it in the future, when she commits adultery, the water will then have the effect at that time. The oath will then kiss. That, that's the way it's being It carries... Can he never bring her as a sota? Ah, excellent. So we're going to get to that. Yes, he, there's no double jeopardy. Ah, oh, very good point. Okay. Um, everybody agrees, Rabbi Mayer adds the future, but everybody agrees that you cannot make her swear about, some, about before Kiddushin, because then, whether she slept around or not, or whether she was married to another guy before she was married to this guy, it's none of this guy's business. Okay, so he can't make her take an oath about anything she did before Kiddushin. And he can't make her take an oath and even according to a mayor that thinks it can be future oriented it would not relate to time after they got divorced if they were to ever get divorced and she were to sleep with another man let's say she even married a second husband and committed adultery with, uh, you know, against the second husband it's none of the first husband's business so his oath cannot even if it can apply to the past and according to a mayor the future it's only during the period of their marriage not before their marriage and not after that marriage Okay. Now, what happens if, so there's a little confusing the text here, the Bach has a whole discussion of the text, but basically what it means is he cannot make her take an oath to relate to a, a, circ- a circumstance, even if he says, 
uh, I want you to swear that you'll never commit adultery even after we get divorced in the eventuality that I'll remarry you after the divorce. Like, too bad. It's like, <laughs> when she would be sleeping with that other man, it would be after the divorce and before the remarriage, so it's really none of his business. Okay? Um, okay. Um, she can get married to the same husband who, under those circumstances. Yes, if she didn't marry, if she, if she didn't marry a second guy in between, even if she slept with a second guy, she can go back to her first husband. Okay? Really? Right, yes. It's only if she married a second guy in between. Um, um, although the Torah says, Asher whatever. Yeah, so, but you can. Um, now, Rashi, another way of reading this is, if he divorced her and remarried her, he cannot make her take an oath that she'd not, let's say he did divorce her and remarried her, and now we're in the time that they have been remarried, and he now suspects her again, he cannot make her take an oath about the period, of, about her behavior during the period of divorce. Right. Okay. Um, okay. Any circumstance where she'd have had sex, it would not make her forbidden to him. He does not have any ability to make her take an oath about her, about, or to, to you know, about, about the effect of the water. Now, I do want to say something that's not clear from this Mishnah. In the end, we talk about what could he be masne'ima, what could he stipulate, what could he extend the oath to. So when we say in the beginning that amen amen goes on when I was an arusa, when I was a shomer yabam, ish zem, ish acher, is that implicit? Or does he have to say that explicitly? Is he entitled to say, I want you to also swear with no other man, I want you to also swear from before the Nisuin, or is that implicit? Because by the end, we're talking about that he's not allowed to extend it to periods when she was not married to him. Which sounds like before, it wasn't just implicit, it sounds like he was act- he was choosing to extend it to those times. So that's not clear from the Mishnah, whether we think that this other range of Amen Amen that it could extend to, is that automatic, or does he have to explicitly extend it to include those other cases? The verb matne does not mean clearly it must be before. It does, but he uses matne for the things he's not able to do. When it says what it does extend to, Amen shelo shatisi arus shelo shatisi arusa velo shatisi nisua. Amen means that Amen means it doesn't say that he was masneima. It just says that's what she's saying amen to. So you know. So that's my question. Okay, let's take a look at the Gemara. Amar Avamnuna, Shemeres Debam Shezinta Asura Liyivma. If the woman awaiting Yibam uh, sleeps with another man, she is now forbidden to do Yibam with the brother. Why? Mimai, how do you know? Mirikhtani Shomer Yabam Beknusa, that he can make her swear about her behavior when she was a Shomer Yabam. Iyamak Bishlema Asura, if were she have slept with another man when she was a, when she was awaiting Yibam, so she would be forbidden to do the brother. So Mishum Hachimas Nebehada, then he can make her swear about that, then he can stipulate about that. Notice again the word Masne. He can stipulate. We're not talking about what is automatic, it sounds like he has to choose to stipulate that. Okay? But anyway, we understand how it could extend to that because that would have been an act that would have made her forbidden. So that shows that doing that makes her forbidden. But if sleeping with a man when she's Tremet Yabam does not make her forbidden, how can he stipulate that the, uh, that the uh, water and the oath extend to that, to that behavior? The end of the mission says, any, any situation in which if he had sex it would not make her forbidden, he cannot stipulate. Mm-hmm. So it's, very impl- it's quite implicit in the Mishnah that if she sleeps with another man while she's Shomer Yabam, she's not able to undergo Yibam, that that makes her forbidden to the brother-in-law. Okay? Um, so, 
So let's take a look. So Amid um, Marava, they said in their in Eretz Yisrael, That seems like a pretty darn good argument. Nevertheless, we don't rule that way. Why? How about the fact that the mission is pretty clear that if a woman as a Shabbat Yabam sleeps with a man, she's forbidden. So how could we not rule that way? We don't rule that way not because we don't think it's pshat in the Mishnah. He's right. That is pshat in the Mishnah. It's just that's a thing, that's just a das yachid. Hamani Rebbe Akiva. That's the opinion of Rebbe Akiva. The Amar Enkidushin Tovsin B'Chayvei Lavim Umeshavi Leki Erva. Rebbe Akiva holds in general, not just by Shomer Yabam, Kidushin is not binding by an Isser Lav. Take for example, let's talk about a simple case of an Isser Lav. I don't know a mom's there. Okay, um, there's also let's say a Kohen and a Grusha, but that's not an Isser. That's Shavah the Kol. So we'll take an easier Isser Lav. A mom's there. Okay, or Lo Yavo Amaniyamovi Bikal Hashem. So you have an Amoni Ger. Okay. And you try to do Kiddushin. Is it binding? So the basic halacha is, yeah, it's binding. You're over on an Isser, but it's binding. Rabbi Akiva says, no, it's not binding. It's anything that's prohibited. Even B'diyavah, the Kiddushin won't be binding. Now, let's say... Let, right, now, let's say... what? Now, let's ask another question. What type of sexual act creates a mamzer? So the basic halacha is when a Isser Kares is violated. Okay? So if a guy sleeps with his sister or with a married woman, those are the two most obvious. Interestingly, need is an exception to that. Okay? But with an Arias or an Asia Siege, that's an Issacharis, Mamzer is created. What about if, I don't know, a guy sleeps with a, well, if a Mamzer, Mamzer is created, but that's for different reasons. A guy sleeps with Hamoni Gare, okay? <laughs> so, it, um, or that doesn't create a Mamzer. That's an Issacharis. That's not an Issacharis. Um, so, Rabbi Akiva says, no! the same way that there's no Kiddushin with this other person like it's, lo- it's the same logic if Kiddushin isn't possible then the relationship is fundamentally excluded right it's not just prohibited it's fundamentally ex- you know like not unable to, to be a, a, an acceptable a, a, a relationship that has any effect therefore the, pro- the product of that is also a mamzer so Rabbi Akiva says that there's no Kiddushin with Chayvi Lavim and the child is a mamzer that's sort of now it's a question whether that is exactly what Rabbi Akiva said and how the Gemara extends what Rebbe Kiva initially said, but that's the basic approach. So what the Gemara is saying is the following. What's the logic to say that the woman is forbidden by a case of Shomeret Yabam. Normally, the only time a woman is forbidden on her husband is when she commits, like, adultery, which is the use of Ashes Ish. Okay, I'll explain it to you again. So normally, a woman is only forbidden to her husband when she, when she okay, normally a woman is only forbidden to her husband when she commits adultery, right, which is the Isra Ashes Ish, which does, it's not true by the case of, of Yibum. So, but the Gemara thinks, well, maybe though, and it could ask a similar question, is Kiddushin Tosin by a Shemert Yabam? Is there a Mamzer by a Shemert Yabam? Why? It's a simple love. So normally, forgetting Rabbi Akiva, normally we should say Kiddushin would be binding, you would not have a Mamzer. But maybe since conceptually it's a continuation of the dead brother's marriage, and it's seen as resting in potential and waiting to be actualized, so even though it's only a love, it's not an Isra Misa, etc., etc., but it's a quasi-marriage already to the second brother, so maybe that's enough to say that Kiddushin won't be binding to another man, the child will be a mamzer, and so on. That seems to have been Rav Hamnuna's point. He wasn't talking about Rabbi Akiva. He was talking about what's special about Yibum. Because Yibum is a quasi-marriage, 
That's why if this woman sleeps with another man, it's considered like adultery. And that's why she can no longer do yibum with the brother-in-law because it's a quasi-marriage. And, yeah, it's the Zika. And then the Gemara comes back and says, no, it's not, it's not special about yibum. It's not something that, we, that's our, that would be our general approach. We do not look at yibum this way. And it's not a special status of yibum. This is just part of a general position of Rebbe Akiva that would say this by any woman who's forbidden by a lav. So it's not because Yibam is a quasi-marriage that is a type of a quasi-adultery that makes her forbidden, that would make the child a mom's heir, that would make Kiddushin not binding, etc. This really would be just because of, of the special weight that Rabbi Akiva gives to any Isser Lav. And therefore, now of course it's a little different, because this is the only Isser Lav that, uh, that, adru- that relates to the, a binding between a man and a woman. Well, meaning, yeah. meaning if a woman, if, if, if a woman is a, Moa, is a, is a uh, Mitzri Geir, or whatever, um, you know, well, or he's an Ammoni gay or whatever it might be. So, I mean, but what does it mean? It means that they can't get married. But it doesn't mean if the woman sleeps with another man, because there's no relationship to impact. The only time there's a relationship to impact through an act of sex is either marriage or Shemer Siabam. Otherwise, there's never any defined relationship. So there's never any other example of an Isra Lav that makes a woman forbidden to a man, okay, um, through that act. There has to be a type of a cheating on the guy, which only exists through marriage or Shemer Yabam. But nevertheless, what the Gemara is saying is, this is not a special status of Yabam that everybody would agree to. You know, yes, you wanted to say because it's quasi-marriage. Actually, that's not true. If you put Rabbi Akiva aside, if a Shemer Yabam sleeps with another man, she's not forbidden to the brother-in-law, and the child isn't the mom's there. And if she accepts Kiddushin from another man, it will be a binding Kiddushin. This is just Rabbi Akiva's position that generally treats Israel Lavin very weightily, so according to him, that's why she's forbidden to her husband. Rabbi, now, you had a question before? I was saying, but we don't, I mean, we don't go by that, right? Like, right, we don't pass from Rabbi Akiva, which is what the Yushami said. You're right in interpreting the Mishnah that the woman, the Mishnah assumes that the Oshemet Yabam who sleeps with another man is forbidden to her husband, mm-hmm. but you're wrong in assuming that that's a unanimous opinion and we pass in that way. It's all part of a Rabbi Akiva package who gives extra weight to Isurei Lavin. Yeah. Rabbi Akiva would apply that statement to a married man who has sex with a Kiddushin with another Kiddushin. Um, well, that assumes that that's an Isra Lav, okay, which is a very big debate. But, um, okay, so let's take a look. Um, okay, um, so the verse says like this. Um, Okay, Mashiach by Rabbi Yirmi, Rabbi Yirmi asks, "Moshi nek Adam al Nisuin Harishonim al Nisuei Achiv, or al Nisuin Harishonim, or al Nisuei Achiv, Mahu." So what's the story? Meaning, basically, a guy um, married a woman um, and then uh, divorced her and then remarried her. Can he now, in the second marriage, and now in the second marriage, he's suspecting her of adultery and he's making her undergo the SOTA process. During the second, during the SOTA process of the second marriage, can he say, I want you to swear that you never cheated on me during the first marriage. Okay? By the way, again, notice the word matne'ima. It seems like if he wants to extend it, he has to explicitly stipulate. Okay? Or, let's say he did yibum. Can now, after he's done Yibam, fine. He can't say, I want you to swear that you never committed, a, that you never suppled to man while you were Shemet Yabam, because we don't pass in that, that's Rabbi Akiva. Can he say, I want you to swear to me that you never cheated on my dead brother? 
Okay, because if you see this marriage as an extension of the marriage with the dead, so that's like taking it one step up. Mm-hmm. A, can you make you swear that you never cheated on me in one case in, during our first marriage, which isn't the marriage right now? And B, how about if that first marriage actually wasn't with me, but it was with my brother? Mm-hmm. Can you make you swear about that? Because this is seen as a continuation that of this. That might be different than not being able to swear the future marriage. We already said it. Right. Well, right? uh, um, well, no, Rebbe Mayer says you can't make her swear for future marriage. I mean, even for the future, it's for the future of this marriage, not for the future of getting divorced and getting remarried. Right. So you're but saying, I mean, is it you can't the future? Yeah, but maybe past is better than future. I mean, you know, okay, let's take a look. This present husband is the Yavama. Yeah, that's, but that's the second case. Yeah, the first, okay. Tashma, Zeklau, Koshet Ba'ev, Lote Asurlo, Lohayamat Neima. Anytime where she has sex, she would not be forbidden to her, then he cannot make her swear. Ha'asira, but in these cases, were she to have committed, were she to have had sex with another man during their first marriage, or were she to have had cheated on his dead brother during the brother's marriage, then she would be forbidden to him, right? If this woman had committed adultery during their first marriage, they could not be allowed to be remaining married right now, right? She, or if she had committed adultery with the brother, uh, when she was married to the brother, then you can't you don't do yibam if a woman commit, that was our first Mishnah if a woman is a sota and the, bro, and, and the husband dies the, the brother doesn't do yibam if she commits adultery with the man then there's no yibam with this woman so in those cases Dafka because it is the past which would mean that she would be forbidden now had that happened that is acceptable so Jenny you're absolutely right you cannot make her say I make you swear that if we get divorced and remarried that you won't have you know that you won't cheat on me you know that you can't say because, but you you can say about a previous marriage that we've had together because in that case you'd be forbidden to me right now so I can make you swear about that. Okay? That's a good proof. Let's go on again. You can even talk about not about an oath about what will be the future. But again, that will take effect during the future. I swear that I won't become Tamei. Then now, if she's, if she's going to do it in the future, now the water will take an effect. Like I said, punishing her for the future, which something hasn't happened yet. Um, when, if, if he says, swear to me about the future, and she says, Amen, then when she, if, if and when she were to commit adultery in the future, then the water like you know regurgitate itself in her stir itself up in her and then it would have its impact okay by Ravashi so can a man make her swear on the second on the remarriage so this sort of seemed to be what was sort of um, you know what was sort of being referred to explicitly in the, in the Gemara I mean in the Mishnah um, but um, hold on let me just double check Rashi make sure I'm explaining this correctly um, yeah yeah, so the funny thing is that, that according to one Girsa, that could have been what actually the Gemara was saying. But anyway, this is the question he's asking. According to every mayor that she can swear about the future, can you make her swear that if we get divorced and remarried, you won't cheat on me then? 
Okay, so, oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. The mission says that you can't make her swear that if we get remarried, you won't have cheated on me in the interim. Right, that was the Mishnah. That you can't make her swear that she wouldn't have cheated during the interim. So now we're saying, can you make her swear about the future that you won't cheat on me if we get remarried during our second marriage, okay? Because we've already established that she can be made to swear that she didn't cheat on him during the first marriage because then she would be forbidden right now. So according to every marriage that it can also be future-oriented, can you say, I want you to swear that you won't cheat on me later in our marriage, or if we ever get divorced and remarried, you won't cheat on me then either. Can that also work? Okay, because if she were to do that, he would be forbidden to him at that time. Okay, so let's take a look. Um, now, if, I mean, if she wouldn't be forbidden in the context of this marriage, so maybe, you know, if she were to cheat on him in a, in a, in a remarriage situation, it wouldn't be forbidden in the context of this marriage, so he, maybe he can't make her swear. Nope, sometimes he'll divorce and remarry, and if she were to do it then, she would be forbidden to him in the context of the second marriage, so maybe she can make him swear, he can make her swear right now that she won't do that, she won't cheat on him even in a second marriage. Tashma, come in here. Everybody would agree that he cannot make, that he cannot make her swear, like stipulate about her, you know, uh, regard, with her regarding the time before the marriage, and not after she gets divorced. So, and he can't make her swear that if she was in private with a man, that she basically did not sleep with a man um, during the period before the remarriage. Okay, so that's what the minister says. He can't, he can't make her swear that she didn't sleep with a guy in the, or that she won't, or or, the, or that she won't sleep with a guy during the interim period. Ha, yachzirena v'titma. But regarding whether sleeping with a guy after the remarriage, hachanami demasni. The Mishnah does not say he can't do that. Presumably he can do that. Shmamina. So basically it works very nicely in parallel. He can make her swear that she didn't cheat on him during a first marriage, if this is a second, if it was the same, if he was married to her in the first marriage, that was a different guy. And he can make her, and he can also make her swear that if future oriented that she, that she won't cheat on him during a second marriage to, to him if they were to get divorced and remarry. Okay. Now we get to the double jeopardy. Those Torah taknaot. This is the law of, the, of jealousy. So Torah is an expansive word. So she can actually be made to drink twice. She can be suspected twice. I'm a Rebbe Yehudah. Rebbe Yehudah says, Zot, no, this, which is a limiting word. No double jeopardy. She can't be made to, to drink twice. I'm a Rebbe Yehudah. Said Rebbe Yehudah. So Nechunia, the digger of wells, testified to us. That he actually testified, which sounds like, is he testifying about a tradition or is he testifying about having witnessed something? Tosos actually quotes Yerushalmi. If you look at Tosos, Eini Okay, so actually, as testifying that it actually occurred, somebody wrote a book called Hatekes Shelohaya, the ritual that never happened about Sota. So actually, according to the Yerushalmi, uh, it actually did happen, and there was one woman who, who they did who it was done three times with her um, in front of Shrine of Time. Must be she was innocent at least 
the first two times. Okay? <laughs> so anyway, okay, so the question is, so when he says that this person testified, did he testify to a tradition of a halacha, or did he testify to actually having witnessed it? But anyway, so Nechunia Chofa Shichin testified, that he, he can be made to do it twice. Now, we only were prepared to accept that halacha position, not in all cases, but only B'Shnei Anashim, it was two different husbands. Avalob Ishachad, not the same husband. Okay? So with the same husband, no double jeopardy. He made you go through it once, he can't make you go through it again. But with another husband, maybe yes. So if that's true, when, uh, what's it saying? When the Tanakama says, you can go through it twice, presumably the Tanakama means even the same husband. Okay? So you have Rabbi Yehuda saying twice with different husbands, but not the same husband. And the Tanakama presumably saying twice even with the same husband. And now we're just going to have the third opinion, and then we'll unpack this um, tomorrow on Shabbos. Nope, no double jeopardy, whether the same husband or different husbands. Okay, so the whole range of opinions. Either you can always be made her go twice, even the same husband, he suspects her again a week later, you can be back here a week later. That's the Tanakama. Rabbi Huda says no. Same guy, once he's already been, once she's been proven innocent, we don't want to hear it from this husband again. He's just got a suspicious nature, and we don't want to hear it from the same husband. A different husband, maybe. And then the third opinion is, no, she's totally totally free from ever having to come back to court again and even with a different husband once she was forced to undergo this ordeal we're never going to make her undergo this ordeal again in her life even with a different husband okay so three different opinions we'll see more about that tomorrow